This podcast is brought to you by Hostfully. We make property management software and digital guidebooks. Using Hostfully, you can create a free guidebook for your property that works on any mobile device. To learn more and sign up for our industry newsletter, please visit Hostfully.com. Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. We are your hosts, Josefa Kapadia and Jasper Rivers. Get paid for your pad. 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 All right, guys. So welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad podcast, episode 324. Uh, my name is Eric Muller, and I am the sit-in podcast host for uh, Jasper Rivers. He uh, Jasper is actually flying right now back to Amsterdam and then hopefully into Barcelona, which is kind of crazy. So he asked me to jump on, and we have an awesome, awesome guest today. Uh, not only a good friend of mine, but somebody I, I look up to in this industry, Not not only in the the property management side, but his overall uh, vision and thought and what he is industry. So let's welcome on Zillerberg of Auto Host. What's up, Anton? How you doing, man? It's all good, man. Living it day by day, figuring it out. That's right. That's right. Uh, why don't you give everybody just kind of kick this off right from the beginning? Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and the things that you're working on? Because not only are you a uh, host and scale. You have a company where you, you know, we're running north of a hundred units, um, but you also have a very powerful tech company with uh, AutoHost. So, why don't you give everyone just a quick little intro on yourself? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, that's actually uh, how we met when we were starting AutoHost, right? Uh, you and I. That's right. Um, I actually come from digital marketing background, and I used to work as consultant, working with startups, and we did growth hacking. We lived in kitesurfing beaches and towns and rented our apartment on Airbnb. And I really thought that I was going to build the next internet-connected Marriott uh, through renting out a bunch of apartments. And we scaled that Airbnb business to about 200 properties that we managed overall in the past couple of years until we got attacked. And we had very, a series of unfortunate incidents, stolen credit cards, drugs, weapons, and a bunch of different things like that, that we realized that we can continue operating a short-term rental business out of a residential area and we had to solve it somehow. So we built a screening system and a tool for our property management company to basically flag what is wrong with each reservation. That turned to become a sophisticated security product that turned into an identity validation system and a dynamic risk scoring system that enables host flag bad guests or what you deem to be bad guests on your terms and get the good guests in through the, uh, through the doors and obviously minimizing risk, financial risk and things like that. And that we proved to be at the right place at the right time. We are working with the largest funded property management companies in the world. We're exploring partnerships with hotels and different BMS providers as well as long-term leasing agencies and multifamilies. And we, our approach to it is to build a way for good guests to get in friction-free and for bad guests to create additional friction in the, in the process. 
And that's just a game changer. It hasn't been done before. Obviously, it comes with its own set of challenges as a kind of industry creator, as a category creator for ourselves. We need to make it up. We need to figure out how to build it, how to work with it, how to market it, how to sell it. Um, obviously, tech challenges as well and some friction there. And that's kind of where we're at. And obviously, we have all been impacted by the corona yeah. situation, right? Mm -hmm. And AutoHost is no different. And we're here to support our clients. I'm working with all of our clients, with all of our partners and vendors, and trying to share my knowledge and experience. And hopefully, everybody will get, be able to get through it as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I, you know, I appreciate you being here and sharing this. And why we wanted you on here is you have a different perspective, a unique perspective on the industry you have the property management side, the hosting side, and you understand the challenges that come along with that. And you still run that business and curious to, to see wh wh what's happening over there. But then you also have the tech side where you are working with the biggest companies in our industry. So, you know, part of why we wanted you on here is to really understand what is happening to the hospitality industry right now, right? So how, what, in your opinion, what's going on with the coronavirus and how this is shaping hospitality and, and the industry that we're in. Oh man, I, <laughs> I've been traveling for the past 10 years and yeah. I've been going on vacations and business trips and things like that every month, every two months or whatever. And that's just been a part of my lifestyle, right? It impacted me personally so much that I'm, I feel helpless that I can't just hop on a plane yeah. <laughs> and go anywhere. Right? It's just absolutely crazy. And I've never read or seen anything like this before where you have an entire industry that just basically got like wiped right in the span of a couple of weeks. We've seen at AutoHost, we've seen 95% revenue loss as well as transaction loss, right? We bill per transaction. So we've seen that it heavily impacted our business. It impacted every single business in hospitality, all the OTAs. Airbnb, Booking.com, Expedia, whatever. Every single vendor that charges that way got impacted by this. And that has the potential to really disrupt industries. And I think it actually presents a lot of opportunities down the line for property managers who are op opening their eyes now and kind of reflecting on it. Right? And what I've seen on our business, on our property management business, is that it's been very, very difficult to kind of cope with it. We're very localized, so we're dependent on local traffic. We're operating in a metropolitan area in the city of Toronto. Um, and we've basically seen 550 cancellations in about a week and a half or so. Mm -hmm. That is insane, man. Mm -hmm. That is insane. It's so much revenue loss and it's so much tax revenue loss. And it's been very difficult for us to cope with it and to learn how to deal with it. And for the first week or so, I was... So I was so anxious. I didn't know what to do, right? Every day the situation was evolving so quickly. And I actually realized fairly quickly that there's nothing I can do, right? I can mitigate the risks as quickly as I can and cut expenses, cut costs, and see how we can shelter ourselves from it. But I'm not immune to this situation. And once I actually adapted that type of mentality where this is beyond my control, things became better. <laughs> right. 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 You emotionally, yeah, this is something that we, we were preaching last week is just like getting in the mindset of 
not focusing on the things that you can't control. Like our minds during crisis love to attach to the things that are fully out of our control. And that seems to be where all of our focus goes, but being able to mentally and emotionally shift to saying, okay, well this, this thing is happening. I can't control that. I can't control the outcome, but I can control the way I feel about it, the way I wake up in the morning and take action and what I'm working towards. So it seems like that's, that's where, where you and your partners and your team have uh, kind of shifted as well, correct? Yeah, 100%. And it's, for me personally, it's been a huge learning opportunity as an entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. I quickly realized what was important and what wasn't important. So I obviously, like everyone else, I quickly pulled our balance sheet and cash flow and cash projections and p and I was like, I looked at everything and I'm like, is this making money? No, buy, 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 buy. This doesn't make sense. And I, I actually started reflecting that the good times were so good, you know, that we were able to operate as like a fast company with a lot of expenditures and we could have if we would have reinvested that or looked at it differently or opened up a different market or opened up a different vertical or whatever we would have would have done with that capital it would have been better off than just wasting it on whatever we did right and that that is something that i learned and that's not something that i'm going to repeat again in any one of my ventures and i will definitely prioritize healthy healthy balance sheets and good cash flow and good cash flow projections as well as having an ability to borrow against some form of an asset. And what's interesting is that every time I approached banks, the banks seem to really love our cash flow, right? It's like, oh, you're generating so much cash flow. Here's cash, cash, here's, here's a loan, here's a loan, here's a loan. And the problem that I realized is that borrowing and leveraging against that cash flow is that you can't borrow against that cash flow if it stops, right? So mm-hmm. you have a borrowing issue. And that is something that I, I didn't put so much emphasis on it because I didn't never thought that 95% of my revenue would be wiped out. Right. That's right. It's not something that you can plan for. And if you are planning for it, then you're probably not growing your company fast enough. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because we, and I, you know, I say it over and over up until about a month ago, we were in abundant times where we can just focus on cash flow because it was just coming in especially in the, you know, the operators that were focusing on mass releases and scaling that model. Um, but yeah, you're right. As soon as that cash flow stops, if you weren't focusing on actual putting cash away, focusing on profit versus focusing on your revenue, and you're in the mass release model where you don't really have any assets at the end of the day, um, what happens? Like what happens to your business? I, I'm really curious to see your opinion on this of as the industry as a whole, you know, mass releasing or rental arbitrage. Um, and then the management model grew really, really fast the last few years. But, you know, in that exact model where we're only focusing on cash flow, not profit, and we don't have any, any assets, what's your opinion, man? Like what, what's going to happen to that, that model as a whole? Yeah, man. Uh, that's a very good question. I, I think, for me, my awakening was uh, seeing WeWork kind of crumble um, and yeah. seeing this entire valuation uh, arbitrage from investors. That is when I realized that I need to look closely at all of our books and all of our expenses and really make sure that we have some form of an IP of what we're doing. And our IP is our operations, is our brand, is our employees, our expenditure, our relationships with clients, our contracts and things like that. Right? It's not necessarily the, the cash flow that we're able to generate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a 
kind of a byproduct. We're going to be building a company anyways that has some value. It's not because of the cash potential. Um, it has a lot more. Now, the business model that we're in is that we also had a lack of focus at our property management company. And this is something that I have also learned through looking and examining our P&L with our head of finance is that we actually have 11 revenue streams. 11 revenue streams is a lot of money. We're making money from arbitrage, from master leasing. We make money from management. We make money from uh, mm -hmm. security packages. We make money from cable and reselling, things like that. And from cleanings and upmarking that and suppliers talking, you know, some are more profitable than others. Some are great and some are just a waste of our resources, right? So a lack of focus really put us in that position instead of focusing on what was important, which is finding the most profitable niche within that segment and just focusing, that, focusing on that full stream. Now, the business models that are impacted the most and that have the most liability are probably the master lease models, right? Because they're so capital intensive and it takes so much money to open up a single unit you need to acquire the unit, so there's a sales process. You need to pay some commissions to do that, right, to your salespeople. Then you need to furnish the unit. You need to, um, by the time that you're actually furnishing the unit, you need to pay for rent unless you get a break on the rent. And then until you get that money back, we actually calculated that with current conditions, with current ADRs, with everything else, it increased from six months, the payback period increased from six months per unit to about two and a half years per unit, right? Mm, that is huge. Yeah. So and that, that opens up a, a big financial risk for companies if you're going to fundraise or you're going to borrow or whatever you're going to do and focusing on the master lease, right? The payback period is going to be much, much longer. And I think that model will probably, it's not going to disappear. It's going to change, right? It's going to be more of a combination. I think it's going to be a combination of rev share together with some form of a commitment, uh, depending on the inventory holder and how desperate they are to fill in the space. Interesting. Interesting. So, so you don't think the master lease model as a whole is going to disappear. It's more of the structuring of how much they're actually on the line for what they have to bring to the table. Correct. Security plus revenue. Correct. And I mean, look, if you look at all the contracts that the big companies are signing, uh, the Saunders of the world, right? They're making commitments for the next 10, 15 years under commercial agreements. They're not right. making short term commitments. It's not a one year, five year thing. It's, it's a long term deal. And their arbitrage that they're going after is, well, I can lock in a 15-year lease at a significant reduction, at a significant uh, cost reduction, and then I will make that money back over the course of 10 to 15 years, which is how hotels have been operating as well, right? Sure. sure. Um, they've been having that. So, I mean, it's not going to disappear. It's just going to change. It's going to be more professionalized. It's going to be more calculated. Um, I think risk modeling is going to become, specifically for that model, is going to become more relevant now. Uh, people are going to pay a lot more attention to it. And at the end of the day, when you're coming to an inventory holder, an inventory supplier who has 100 units and you're coming to them and you're saying, listen, I will rent those 100 units from you because I can increase your returns at the end of the year. They'll be like, well, what's going to happen in the next downturn, right? <laughs> I'm going to have to give you a discount. So yeah. that could potentially be wiped out. And I actually, that, I heard that sentence from one of the investors who invested in one of those lease arbitrage companies, the big ones, right? And their kind of value proposition that they offered is slowly diminishing. Mm. So, so what's your opinion on the management model? Where, where, do you think, where do you think the management model is going right now, especially for urban markets? Um, and where, where do you think the future of all this is, is leading? 
Yeah, I actually think right now it's the biggest opportunity the short-term rental space, short-term rental operators have ever had. And the reason for that is hospitality as a sector has been booming in the past 10 years, right? In the past 10, 15 yeah. years, whatever. Um, airlines, are, flights are cheaper. Hotels are more abundant. Short-term rentals are more available. Airbnb reduced the cost of travel. There's a lot more options for travel. And the world is more connected. So you can live and work in different places, work from home and all of that, right? And that created a bunch of opportunities and opportunity abundance in the travel sector overall. What ends up happening now is you're going to have a bunch of these buildings that are hotel buildings, right? That have fired all of their staff. Like the Marriott fired, you know, I don't know, 30,000 people. I don't know whatever they, whatever they fired, right? Yeah. It's, it's insane. It's an insane amount of people. For them just to rehire 30,000 people back, it's going to take them years to do that, right? They're not going to hire them all back right away. So that means that they're going to look for efficiencies in their operations. They're going to look for new technology. They're going to look for, for a new process. And that process is actually going to come from the short-term rental space. If you look at the Saunders, at the Domios, and these guys, what they bring to hospitality is operational efficiency above all, right? Sonder has been able to furnish 200 units in a week or something. Uh, they managed to figure out the supply chain. They managed to figure everything, all of those out to fill the units as quickly as possible with guests, right? That is their biggest innovation. And these guys and that type of process and that type of SOP and that type of technology is going to be even play a bigger role in the new age of hospitality when this entire thing recovers. And that's why the rev, the rev share model, the management model for an operator could actually become very, very beneficial. Me right now, as an operator, what I would do is I would go and I would find a hotel, like a distressed hotel owner, and I would tell them, look, your, the model that you've operated until now wasn't efficient. Maybe you were paying a bunch of franchise fees to whatever big company. And once we get out of it, maybe there's a better way to operate your hotel, right? Maybe you need less staff. Maybe you need better rooms. Maybe you need to have a concept. And that's how I would approach it and just do a rev share agreement with the inventory holder. And instantly you would get access to a building. And look, I've spoken to a bunch of hotel owners. Almost none of them have just one hotel. <laughs> they have multiple hotels. They yeah. leverage and buy more and more and kind of roll it into like a conglomerate of hotels. Now that sounds, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I've been saying that for the last few weeks that I feel what this, this crisis will birth is a new opportunity in boutique hotels, unique hotels in locations that you can actually be approved and have the licensing to run the, the actual short-term rental business there. Plus you have the asset, right? That sounds like a massive, massive feat for a lot of people to, to undertake, right? Do you see that being only the, the large companies that are able to do that? Or do you see more operators that are at your size of 50 to 200 units being able to start tapping into that type of model? Yeah, that's super interesting. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot and I've been talking to a bunch of industry players. I've been talking to uh, other software vendors and I was trying to understand who is going to come out of it alive. Like what type of industry, oh, sorry, what yeah. type of players are going to come out of it? Is it vacation rentals, urban markets? Is it master leases? Is it funded companies, unfunded companies? And I came to a conclusion that whoever 
has the least amount of overhead and the least amount of expenses is the person who's going to come out of it, right? So if you've been operating 50 units, 100 units, or 200 units, it means that you're, it's not a lifestyle business anymore. It's your full-time job. You have some process, right? You can apply that process to a different building or a different inventory uh, to a different piece of inventory that will make it a lot more profitable down the line. So I think the opportunity lies for those who have been kind of patient, right? And haven't been riding that big wave of growth. And that's just by sheer luck, right? I mean, I, I obviously praise all the entrepreneurs who managed to squeeze and raise a bunch of money in the space right before, right before this happened and grew super quickly. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. Um, the growth is going to be a lot more sustainable going forward. You're not going to be seeing this like multiplier of 5x, 10x per year in unit count and, and revenue right. from these companies. I, I don't think that's going to happen in the next three to four years, right? Uh, so to answer your question, the, the opportunity lies basically for anyone who is innovative and anyone who can take the time to research and study and figure out where that opportunity will lie. And it could just be across the street, right? It mm. could very well be in the retail space that just kicked out the, not kicked out, but the gym that closed down because they couldn't do anything with it. And you're going to convert it into like a work and live type of an environment. Mm. That's an opportunity. You're going to have an abundance of commercial real estate, right? All the WeWorks uh, that are going to close down and all of those office spaces that are going to close down because there's more people going to be working from home, right? That's just how it's going to be. And at right. least for the foreseeable future. So there's going to be a bunch of opportunities everywhere. And converting that opportunity um, into hospitality places is going to be pretty big in the next couple of years, I think. Mm. Yeah, I love that, man. I agree. And it, it, it's, it's almost like it created a whole new niche within short-term rentals. Like this whole COVID um, crisis has created a new niche of uh, short-term rentals meets the, the co-work place, right? You're seeing Sonder really stepping into that. I know a lot of hosts uh, inside our communities are converting their properties to um, co-work or uh, homework locations. Do you see that becoming a, a whole new business model or is it going to be a mix of the two? Totally. I, I think I've always said that the, I think the biggest um, opportunity in the short-term rental space is the combination between short-term and long-term housing. Uh, because what we supply as short-term rental providers is the ability to roll in with a suitcase and a computer <laughs> and live there for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year, for whatever you want, right? So yeah. the work-from-home concept is going to be even more important now. And the a concept that you need to, let's say, live in San Francisco and pay expensive San Francisco prices in order to get that expense, you know, that good San Francisco salary, it will diminish throughout. I mean, you'll be able to live in Mexico, right? And still make San Francisco salary if you really wanted to without paying the mm -hmm. San Francisco rent. And that model right. will probably prevail. So the work from home, the work from anywhere, um, internet connected working and all of this is, is going to, I, I think it's going to become even bigger than co-working spaces potentially, right? I mean, if you market your apartments right now and it has a convenient office and screens and fast internet and everything else, listen, it's going to get booked. Right, right. right. Yeah, I, I read something the other day that, um, it was a couple of weeks ago, that one third of the US working population 
uh, is able to work remotely one third. It's huge. So to me, that's, it's massive, right? It's massive to see that amount of numbers. And then now companies shifted so fast in every sector have shifted so fast to figure out how to keep themselves in business and run their, you know, run their companies remotely. So I think that one third is just going to continue to grow and grow and grow. I, I agree. I see the, the overhead expense of having massive offices and all this other, all these other things that come along with running a company is just going to dwindle down. So being able to structure yourself to capitalize that and the short term and mid, you know, midterm, if you will, stays. And that's something I wanted to ask you as well. We see this a lot with a lot of hosts are switching from short term stays, right? So from the average of one to three days to now 14 days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Do you see that becoming a, a, a new focus for a lot of these operators? I think everyone realizes that it's, it's inevitable yeah. and regulation would make it inevitable. Uh, from a zoning perspective, right? Because you have restrictions 180 days or 90 days or whatever it would be, right? Um, so that's just the way that things would roll out. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's, that's a must, right? Um, that also comes with its own type of sets of risk, right? I, I definitely see an opportunity for some form of a player like Airbnb to come in and provide a, a different type of a concept where you would say, hey, I'm going to rent, uh, I'm going to have a lease, a 12-month lease with this company, and I will be able to plug into locations all over the world, and I can move around every week or every month or whatever it could be, and it's just a, a kind of a flexible environment. Um, I always, I, I, I think two, three years ago, I pitched somebody in Brazil when we were kite surfing and on the beach is that I think that there's a space for subscription living where you would just yeah. buy like uh, a bachelor, you know, a, a subscription to a bachelor package or whatever. And you would right. have access to a bunch of one bedrooms or two bedrooms all over the world. And you'll be able to plug them in and move around really quickly, swiftly between those. But it's all going to be one network, right? Mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. definitely a bunch of cool opportunities within that space. And it's just going to prevail. I think it's going to be more important. And actually to, your, to what you said before, my mom has a yoga studio. And she had to close down her yoga studio. So she was like, well, I want to do Zoom classes now and I want to do an online classes. So we were talking about her online classes and she's like, do you think people will pay for it? I'm like, maybe. Right. Let's do a Zoom class with your clients and see if they like it. They absolutely freaking loved it, right? Mm -hmm. It gave them a sense of community and she was able to give them more attention so she just added more value add inside and now she's going to drop her entire studio completely just in favor of online classes. My mom, right? That's incredible. That is incredible. a different business from what she's had. And we were actually running an experiment now is that she's doing yoga classes every, uh, every weekday from 9 to 10 a.m. And she's hopping from one of our apartments, from every one of our apartments, and she's doing a class in every apartment. So oh, hilarious. he's like changing scenery too. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Yeah. It, I actually, uh, our yoga studio just did the same thing down here where they can't, they can't run back. Um, can't keep anybody in their studio. So they have to do it online. And that, you know, that opened up my mind before this whole COVID crisis. I never really took anything online when it came to physical, you know, exercise or anything, but now it's like, well, this is our only option and we're actually enjoying it more than having to travel and go to, 
the studio and everything else. So, and we can bring in so many more friends that are around, around the country into those classes. So I agree. I think that's, uh, I think that's going to be big for a lot of different companies. I'm just really curious how, how is this going to really shape the travel industry? Do you think, do you, what, what are your thoughts on the travel industry coming back? Do you see people being comfortable traveling very soon? Is it local? Is it global? You know, what, what's your take on this, on how COVID is impacting the psychology of travel right now? So I ask uh, everyone I randomly, right, that I speak to is like, when are you going to feel comfortable hopping on a plane again? And mm. I think a common answer is for people right now who haven't lost their jobs and still have uh, some form of income coming in and had vacations planned, they haven't canceled those vacations. So they're not that scared from the actual travel portion of things. Um, so th that is actually interesting, right? So the, the perception is when it will feel safe again and we yeah. need to have some form of a, a piece of trust that will enable that, right? It's either a vaccine or a... Um, uh, a vaccine or some form of knowledge on how to cope with this disease a little bit better. So that is one thing. On how quickly and which types of travel will come back, at first it's going to be the um, immediate business travel, right? That will have to come back. That will have to come back. It's like engineers and things like that. I, I need to fly to an inspection at a mine somewhere in Bolivia or something like this. That's just a must, right? That is the first thing that's going to come back. So inspections, compliance, um, something that is resource-oriented, water, electricity, power, gas. The next thing that will, after that, the, in the leisure side, it will be local travel, so drive-in markets. And I think Guesty released a report that there are certain markets that are vacation rental markets, traditional vacation rental markets that are actually booming now and performing a little bit better than they had before. Napa right. Valley is an example. Uh, upstate New York is another example because there's an exodus from the cities going to those vacation rental towns. So that is an example of how that travel ecosystem will change. Um, and then how long will it actually take to come back to normal? I don't think that we're going to come back and see what we've had a month ago. I think it's going to be a gradual change. Um, there is an opportunity there, right? There's an opportunity to change transport. Maybe you were going to have more efficient flights right? Maybe we're going to have more efficient airports. Maybe we're going to have um, more efficient methods of transportations. Maybe we're going to have different types of business models and we're coming out of that. I mean, there's, who knows? Yeah. 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 It's um, we're, we're noticing that a lot in, especially here in the States is secondary markets, vac traditional va vacation rental markets are actually doing quite well, especially outside of the major cities. Um, they're doing quite well right now. And it made me think for our business to start making our switch to focusing on those secondary markets, because I, we were talking to Simon Lehman the other day and he had mentioned, he's like, he's like, Eric, think about it. These vacation rental markets have been there forever. They've been through every single crisis, uh, this world has seen and they're still there and that they're there for a reason. So choosing a different market, I do see those secondary markets coming back faster than the urban markets. Um, doesn't mean that there won't be any opportunity in the urban markets. I just see for me, when I'm making a decision as an operator, where do I expand my business? 
to me, I'm like, okay, the travel will come back in leisure markets faster than they will in urban markets, in my opinion. Two is that the regulations and the competition and everything that are in those cities now will just get harder and harder for operators to really kind of stand out and make a, a real profit, not just revenue, right? So how long it'll take, you know, it's kind of, no one will ever know, but to me, it's, you know, I, I see the industry completely changing, um, but those secondary markets still holding really, really strong. Yeah, 100%. And I think in urban markets, the, the trend is going to be that more hotels are going to look more like short-term rentals, right? Like I said before, that is something that's just going to happen. Hotels are going to be a little bit more efficient and offer something else for their $200 ADR. You know, like I stayed in a hotel in New York a couple of weeks ago, months ago, whatever. And it was a nice room, right? But they had absolutely nothing for the $250 a night that I paid for it, right? They had no value prop. They had very little. And on the other hand, I can rent somebody's apartment for, uh, let's say, the same amount of money, but I can actually live there. I can actually be there. So I think that's going to change really quickly. And the value will become a little bit clearer too, right? And maybe yeah. there's going to be a less red tape. Maybe there's going to be more red tape. Who knows, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to make a transition into something that you specialize in. I'm really curious to see what, what is happening in the industry right now. And tomorrow you're actually going to be doing a deep um, training on this for inner circle members on how to minimize risk on properties. Right. And one thing that we're noticing is a lot of hosts right now are switching from not just relying on Airbnb and all these other platforms to drive bookings is now switching to direct bookings um, and taking on not only short term, but, you know, uh, medium term um, guests. So I'm really curious to hear on the auto host side, what are you guys seeing right now as like one of the biggest risks that hosts are running into? And then what do you suggest for hosts to kind of minimize that risk? Yeah, man, that's, that's a good question. And we're, we're in risk mitigation and our kind of company mentality is to make sure that we build uh, and educate the industry on how to stay safe. Um, the most important thing is know your guest and who's coming inside, right? Be confident that you have done enough research to confirm that Eric is Eric, right? And that Eric is actually coming in to... Uh, with the intentions that he's stating that he's coming in. Then you want to make sure that Eric actually has money. <laughs> <laughs> well, before you move on, I'm curious, how do, what, what are those steps? Like, how do you actually yeah. go and actually confirm if Eric is Eric? Sure. So you have a bunch of indicators, right? You have phone indicators, you have voice indicators. You can give Eric a phone call and say, hey, um, is it, am I actually speaking to Eric? Because uh, until now you've spoken on, you've had an online conversation you don't really know who's behind or who's behind the, behind the screens, that type of thing. Having a conversation is the easiest way to verify people's identity because you can pick on if they're answering the phone, if they picked up the phone, if they're not picked up the phone, how, if they're confident in their answers or not, right? So having a super quick two, three, five-minute conversation with somebody is very simple. Uh, we actually always recommend to mask it as a customer service call and saying, hi, I'm Anton, I'm calling Hey, Eric, I'm Anton calling to confirm your reservation. I just want to make sure that you're coming in. Do you have any special requests? Yes, no. What's the purpose of your stay? Where do you work? 
why do you need the space right now? What happened to your existing solution, your existing housing option and things like that. So that, that is very important to actually verify uh, that. Verify that. The next thing that you want to do is after you've established a way of verification is that you want to hold some pieces of information about the guest, right? And holding and verifying that piece of information could be their ID, could be their credit card, could be a, a match of things, could be a rental usage agreement or a contract or whatever you're, whatever you're actually comfortable doing. That is super important because if I verify your identity, now I want to make sure that I am holding you accountable for your actions inside the space. The only way to do this is by holding some piece of information against you. It could be a security deposit, right? That I'm not going to refund it to you if you create an issue in my space. Um, that is slightly more complicated. And so that's the second thing. The, the last thing is you want to make sure that you're actually able to pay. And at AutoHost, A, we've seen the risk across our entire company go up by about 30 points on average. That is humongous. What ended up happening is that more reservations got squeezed into a shorter lead time, which are automatically by nature higher risk, and they are higher ADRs, higher amounts, right? And in higher in, in properties, in, in sometimes in expensive properties in two-bedroom, three-bedroom apartments. And that has the potential of somebody defaulting on the payment or staying there for longer, right? Which is a really big headache. You really don't want to find yourself in that situation right now. It's not a good use of your resources. It's better to do an additional check, meet the person and meet the guest in person, verify them, have some references, do whatever you need to do. I actually suggested to somebody to even request a direct uh, bank transfer for the funds if it's like a $9,000 for two months, right? $9,000 for two months because maybe right now they have a job, maybe next uh, next month they're not going to have a job. They'll be like, oh, I just paid $9,000 on my credit card for this. I'm going to do a chargeback here, right? You're going to lose that money. Now you've lost the money. You've supplied the service. You need to pay the rent or you need to explain that to your owner who's also desperate for money. Right? And you need to kick the person out. Like, it's so much headache. Hmm. Yeah, so it seems like, I, I mean, I think we all have to make that, that decision and that, that understanding that we are going from this abundant time of bookings just coming in through, and most people just through Airbnb, and you don't have to really confirm this, right? Because we're trusting on the OTAs that they're confirming the identity of the uh, of the guest, right? And I know you have a different opinion of that, but the psychology of the host going through this, we used to just book our list our properties, have them book, and send a couple of messages out, all of that other stuff. Now it's we have to get hands on with our guests. We have to we have to call them. We have to communicate with them. You're suggesting checking them in or making sure that they're actually checking in, especially on the bigger bookings. Everything that will make you feel confident that this is the guest that you want to have inside your property, right? Particularly with the wonky regulatory laws right now that you can't have evictions and things like that. If they claim tenancy, you can find yourself in a very awkward situation and you really don't want to put yourself in in that situation now, right? It's in my perspective, it's better to potentially lose out on that revenue than to take that risk. Right now it's a very, very, very high risk season and in a high risk uh, period right? Because people have lost jobs. People are desperate. You have no idea what's going to happen. And you know what? The fraudsters, they don't take a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. 
they see and they prey on 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 our um on how we want to help and our vulnerability to to want to help and that's just human nature and they'll exploit that to the max right and what we've seen at autohost is actually it's phenomenal that people are still sending in one night requests for potential party places like they're very high risk and I've seen on one of our property, one of our properties is that somebody actually tried to organize a birthday party for her 12 friends. There's a <laughs> lockdown and a quarantine, not a quarantine, but there's a, a lockdown, you're not allowed. And there's a law in Ontario where we live that you're not allowed to have a gathering of more than five people. So mm-hmm. what are you doing? You know, right. this is not what it was intended for. So we blocked the ability to, like, we removed the ability to book one night stays or two night stays. We're doing a minimum of seven or 14 days uh, to lock, to lock that in. Uh, to lock in that revenue for a little bit of a longer period. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Anton, I appreciate you being here, man. Um, we can go into so many different rabbit holes. You know, every time you and I uh, get together, we just, uh, we go deep on these conversations, you know, for everyone who's listening, is there any advice or suggestions that you could pass out to everybody right now? Yeah. I'm actually going to, uh, repeat what Rebecca told me, uh, from, <laughs> from SDR legends. And we've had a call a couple of weeks ago and everybody was like stressed trying to figure things out. And she expressed that the most important part is your mental state mm-hmm. and your mental well-being. And you know what? Since she said that, I reflected back and I realized that I was so anxious and I was so desperate to try to figure out if I can solve this situation somehow. And I realized that it's just beyond my control right now. There's not a lot that I can do. And the most important part is just to be healthy, mentally healthy, make good rational decisions, not rush into anything. I've listened to a bunch of podcasts from investors and one of the NBC said, well, you're not going to be a hero investing now, right? You're just not. There's no clear answers. Nobody knows what's going to happen. So don't rush into any decisions. Don't make anything that will jeopardize um, your way of recovering out of it. And don't stress over it. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. I'm excited to uh, dive into the inner circle training tomorrow. Uh, super excited for that. I know you're going to go uh, into detail. So thank you for, for showing up uh, tomorrow for that. And uh, for everybody else, uh, thank you for showing up for the podcast. You can reach out to Anton through uh, autohost.ai. Dot AI. Yeah. Yeah. Autohost.ai. And uh, Anton. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Ciao. Yeah.